Welcome to Start, Scale, Sustain, a story-driven podcast for nonprofit leaders and entrepreneurs. If you're tuning in for the first time this week, I would encourage you to listen to last week's episode to get to know a little bit more about Justin Miller and the story of Care for AIDS. I'm your producer, Molly Heacock, and I am joined by the co-founder and CEO of Care for AIDS, Justin Miller. Thanks, Molly. I'm excited for this episode today because a lot of people listening, you may not feel like you have that vision yet that God has given you, but I believe there are some things that I did and that Cornell and Duncan did in the years leading up to the launch of this organization that prepared us really, really well for, uh, for what Care Phrase is. So hopefully we can unpack some of that today. Today, yes, we are going to be talking about preparedness. So again, whether you've got the dream or whether you're still waiting on the dream, uh, this is our, our last episode about starting. Next week, we're going to launch into how to scale. But preparedness, Justin, you usually talk about five points of how you can be prepared for whatever's coming in your future. Why don't you kind of list those out for us? I think there's there's five big things that, that I've tried to do and I continue to do. This is not something that ended when Care for AIDS started. This is a constant process of preparing myself for whatever the next thing is that Care for AIDS has ahead of us. The five things are to stretch your mind, serve those suffering, surround yourself with like-minded leaders, surrender your leadership, and steward every opportunity. And we're going to talk about that this morning in context of, of what I've done, but I also want to talk about what Cornell and Duncan did in the time leading up to the launch of this organization. Yeah. So Cornell and Duncan, they were preparing for the launch of Care for AIDS before they even knew it would be called Care for AIDS. And even before you were even in college, years before y'all's paths crossed. So tell us a little bit more about their history, how they met each other and how they lived out those five preparedness principles. Well, Cornell and Duncan met each other in about 2001. They were in a ministry in East Africa that was doing work in T Tanzania and Kenya and Uganda. And in this larger group of students they were with, they really found a unique bond, which, as I mentioned last week, was really a little bit odd because they are very opposing tribes in their country. But there was just something that joined them together. And as they were doing ministry this one time in Tanzania, there was this moment where Cornell started to confide in Duncan about some of the challenges that he'd faced with HIV and the way he'd seen his mom and his dad struggle from that and how it had cost him the life of his best friend growing up and just started to talk about that. And, and as he did, Duncan said, Cornell, stop. I want to tell you more about my story. And Duncan began to share the exact same narrative about how HIV had affected him in a different tribe and a different geography within Kenya, but their stories had so much in common. And as they were traveling around East Africa, trying to, to have an audience to talk to people about spiritual matters, people couldn't, couldn't approach these conversations. They couldn't engage about these spiritual matters because they were hungry, because they were sick. And Cornell and Duncan realized in that moment that there is a barrier here that we're not going to be able to address these higher order issues in people's lives if we don't address these basic needs. And we need to think about what are we going to do in response to HIV and AIDS. And they, they talk about that time as a really holy moment where they realized that God had given them a common vision. And so they began to write down this vision and prepare to do something. And they didn't sit idly by, they worked towards their vision, but they didn't really have the resources or the platform to do this work. And so over the next five years before 
myself and my friends appear on the scene, they were just doing things to prepare themselves for the time when God may allow them to work on this vision and this ministry. And, uh, and I think those are some of the, the principles that I want to draw out on today. So I would love to just go down this list of, of how to be prepared and, and give us real life practical examples of what Cornell and Duncan did to live out these five things. So we'll start with stretch your mind. How have you seen them over, you know, before you met them leading up to care phrase and even in the past 10 years, what have these guys done practically to exercise their minds? Well, I will say generally speaking, the Kenyan people are voracious learners. They want to absorb as much information as they can. And Cornell and Duncan have a commitment to education that is unmatched. And they are both now pursuing their master's degrees. But during this time of preparation, they were going back to school, which was, they didn't really have a lot of other informal channels of of learning and growth. So formal education was the way they could do that. So they were going back to be prepared uh, for whatever work may come in the future. And in my own story, even at 19, I was attending a conference, the Global Leadership Summit, that was really no place for a college student to be, but I was just hungry to take in as much information and learn. And I believed that at the time I was preparing for some work that God may have for me in the future. I didn't realize at the time that um, he was preparing me to do something in my early 20s. And I still felt unprepared to do, but I had made a lot of investments in my own growth and my own development that made me more equipped than maybe a lot of 19 year olds to lead an organization like care for aids. Well, I think that holds true. You said earlier that you still do things to prepare for the future of care for aids, even though you don't necessarily know what that future is going to hold. I remember you just finished your MBA. Congratulations. Um, but I remember in the life of care for aids a couple years ago, when you started, you kept getting these questions like, Oh, what are you going to do next? What are you know, what happens after you get your MBA? And it just shows how counter culture it is to continually prepare, even when you're doing the thing that you want to do. I think a lot of people were like, you already have your dream job. Why go back to school? <laughs> and it's like, you know, you want to continue to to grow and prepare for that future because you're not, we're not going to stay where we are at Care for AIDS forever. It's going to continue to get bigger and better. And you as a leader and, and all of us on staff need to continually prepare for that future. So I think that, yeah, that holds true today as much as it did for you and Cornell and Duncan 15 years ago. Yeah, I believe my dad always told me that your capacity to learn determines your capacity to lead. And if you stop growing, you stop leading and your organization is not going to just maintain if you're not constantly looking to how do we improve you are going to start to decline and it's really hard to to change that so i've tried to to set an example and and to encourage within our own organization and culture uh, one that really embraces continuous learning and improvement and i think training our minds through reading and through conferences and through meeting with wiser people. There's a lot of things that we can do to prepare ourselves for the challenges ahead. That's huge. So stretch your mind. We can check. We've got that. Uh, the next thing you mentioned was serve those suffering. How did you see that play out before the care for AIDS story started with Cornell and Duncan? Well, there was something that was said by a guy named Brian Stevenson. He has an amazing 
organization around justice. And he, he, he used the phrase, there's power in proximity and that we have to get proximate to the people who are suffering to really one, understand the needs that they have and also let them know that we're with them. And I think Cornell and Duncan did a great job of this in not just sitting up at a, uh, in their school talking about how do we affect change in this area of HIV and AIDS. They went out and they started a support group for widows of HIV and they led that support group. They went out and they taught programs about HIV in schools across Kenya and Uganda and Tanzania. Duncan adopted not one, not two, but seven orphans who had been orphaned by HIV and they became part of his family. These guys understood that we can't affect change from a distance. We've got to get close to the people who are suffering. And that is in my life, what allowed Cure for AIDS to begin it wasn't reading about HIV. It was actually getting on a plane and going to the ground and learning about it firsthand. And so I think you have to begin preparing yourself because we want for God to break your heart about an issue in the world. And you may not know what that is right now, but you're not going to learn that just by reading about it. You've mm. got to get close to people and begin to serve them. And there is going to be an issue or a cause that's going to break your heart. That's exactly what you said last week. A problem well-defined is a problem half-solved, right? So that proximity principle, I think, is so important um, throughout the entire start, scale, and sustain process. So we've got stretch your mind. We've got serve those suffering. Um, surround yourself with like-minded leaders. Tell us a little bit more about that preparedness principle. Well, I love this quote by a friend of mine, Randy Gravitt. He says, show me your five closest friends and I will show you who you'll be in five years. And I believe that we do start to drift towards the the people that we're closest to. We start to take on and, and become more and more like those people, either for better or for worse. And when you are preparing to, to, to launch into a vision or you want to have a vision, you don't need people who are just complacent with where they're at. You need people who are looking to do something transformative and they have big ideas and big visions. And so if you want to become a person that will be ready and prepared to start something when called upon, you need people to encourage that in you, to call that out in you, and you will just become sharper and a better version of yourself if you're surrounding yourself with people who uh, think like you do or who also may be a little bit further along the journey and can, or maybe can do a little things a little bit uh, better, faster than, than you can, that is going to, to draw you to a higher level of leadership. And I think for me, Zach, who we've talked about in previous weeks, he was one of those guys who has told me uh, every day when I'm with him, he, he stretches my thinking, he makes me better. And he was part of the reason why we didn't just let the vision of care rates fizzle, but he actually helped, um, inspire that vision and feed that flame and that allow that to grow into the organization that it is today. You talked also about surrendering your leadership. So once you surround yourself with these like-minded leaders and, and stretch your mind and, and get close to the problem, what does surrender really mean at that point? Well, this is a, this is a big conversation that I'd love to have at another time <laughs> where we can unpack this issue because we live in a world today where 
we believe that we are given uh, a position of leadership because we want to make a better life for ourselves. We want to, we want to have power. We want to have positional influence. We want to have resources, whatever it is that we want to achieve. It's leadership or a position is something that is a means to that end, but we just don't buy into that same worldview. We believe that, that leadership is best applied when it's in the context of servant leadership. And when you're uh, adding value to the people that you work with and you work for, and I believe personally that leadership that is surrendered to this bigger vision of what is it that God wants for my life and how can I use my leadership to help improve and fix what's broken in the world around us, that is when our leadership is is really at its fullest and, and best use. And so I think that even in my own story, there was a time when I was trying to start Care for AIDS, but I was really clinging to these ambitions that I had for my leadership that really just reflected, I think, what the larger culture said, hey, this is what success looks like. And it took somebody speaking into my life in a way that I needed at that time to say, Justin, I think you need to try to prune some areas of your life where you're trying to prove you're adequate. And one of those things was just being able to go into the marketplace and lead in an organization and have that position and have that comfort. And those are all things that, that people aspire to. But I think when we say, God, use our leadership to affect the greatest change and use it in a way that will most align my gifts and my passions so we can help heal what's broken in this world. I think that's when we most come alive. And that's what I've seen in care for AIDS over the past 10 years is that I've just thrived in this position. It's not at all what I intended or thought my path would be, but it's the place of the greatest fulfillment and joy in my life because my leadership is being used for a much higher purpose than what I expected it to be. Yeah, and the same is so true for Cornell and Duncan. Either of those guys could be political leaders or lead any number of huge organizations. But the fact that they surrendered that leadership early on really set the tone, I think, in combination of you and the two of those guys just set the tone for the entire Carefreeze culture. Yeah, and I think that one of my friends, Eugene Cho, he wrote a book, and the subtitle is, uh, Are We More... Uh, enamored with the idea of changing the world than we are of actually changing the world. And a lot of people would rather just tell a good story than actually live a good story. And I think Cornell and Duncan have modeled that so well in their life is that they were not seeking to be in any position or to have any power. Um, They just knew that they had uh, been called to this work of caring for people with HIV and AIDS. And they set about that work and they did uh, some amazing stuff in those five years. No one knew who they were. No one knew their name, um, but it was the thing that was preparing them for uh, a greater work that was to come. That's huge. Well, in the last, the last leadership uh, principle here for preparedness that you outlined was steward every opportunity. So tell me how have you done that? How has that prepared you in your leadership? But also how did you see Cornell and Duncan do that leading up to Care for AIDS and even over the past 10 years? It kind of goes back to what we talked about a second ago, which is there's this quote by Rick Warren that I love that says, there will always be more people willing to do great things for God than there are people willing to do the little things. The race to be the leader is crowded, but the field is wide open for those willing to be servants. And 
I think that in the time and the, the, the years leading up to whatever launch may be in your future, um, there are going to be so many things that are going to seem trivial. They're going to seem insignificant, but every one of those opportunities is preparing you or preparing your community for whatever launch may be in the future. I remember one of the earliest investors into our first documentary project is, uh, that was a relationship that they invested in the video and we tried to steward that relationship really well. We tried to thank them, appreciate them for their investment. And they have grown into a a partner who's given almost a million dollars to this work over the past decade. And that was a relationship that, that started prior to even the documentary project. It was a relationship that we had uh, had for 10 years and we had, I had just shown myself to be faithful in the things that I was doing. And they thought that I would be trustworthy enough to invest in. And, and I do believe that people buy into a leader before they buy into a vision. And that's what I did with Cornell and Duncan before I understood what it is they wanted to do. I bought into who they were. And a lot of that was because they had been faithful over their leadership journey to be faithful stewards of everything that they had been entrusted. And I knew that they would do the same with bigger opportunities and bigger responsibilities. So for me, that is something where you are going to be creating and building social capital today that you may want to spend in the future with whatever vision you have. And you can't take for granted how important it is to uh, invest in the relationships that you have, um, serve people when you have the opportunity to serve them, add value to people. And all of those things are going to prepare you um, and put you in a place where when you need to call on those people in the future, um, they will want to come and support you in what you're doing. So steward every opportunity, not understanding what it is going to do uh, for you as you prepare for whatever launch may be in your future. I think that's such a beautiful part of the Care for AIDS story is the, the, the fact that Cornell and Duncan even took the time, took a month to show you guys around and help you film a documentary. That was them stewarding an opportunity that on the surface, I'm sure they were like, we've got better things to do than hang out with three 19-year-olds for a month. But in the end, their stewardship of that opportunity really created the momentum to get Care for AIDS to where it is today, which I just think is so cool. I mean, you can definitely see how their preparedness and your preparedness over time came to that perfect moment where your paths crossed and then everything just happened from there. Yeah. And I love this quote by Winston Churchill that says to each there comes in their lifetime, a special moment when they are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very special thing unique to them and fitted to their talents. What a tragedy if that moment finds them unprepared or unqualified for that, which could have been their finest hour. And as I think about my story, think about Cornell and Duncan's story. I'm thankful that when God tapped me on the shoulder at 19 and Cornell and Duncan in their twenties and said, I have something for you to do at the time. Yes, we did not feel that we were prepared for that big task, but we all had done the things to be as prepared as we could to say yes and to not miss an opportunity to live into something that has become a defining part of our lives and has created a tremendous impact. That's fantastic. So with these five kind of principles of preparedness, what is the one thing that you would say to our listeners who, who have the dream, who are chasing after that dream and know what it is? And what would you say to the listener who, like you said at the beginning, might not even know what they want to do, but they know that they want to do something. What's your biggest takeaway for them? 
Well, I would say that the small incremental investments that you're making in your preparedness today are going to produce huge returns in the future and not to take for granted the fact that even if your vision is not going to be realized for another five or 10 years, that the the compounding interest of preparing and the relationships that you're investing in, the things that you're learning and the people you're serving, all of that is preparing you for something and not to grow tired of doing those things, even if it feels like the vision is not coming to fruition the way that you want to. And I would say to everyone else who's working towards some vision or some goal, uh, just continue to press on in the development of yourself and those around you. It is not something that you can be lax in as you prepare for the future because there are going to be new challenges. If you're growing every day is going to present a new obstacle, a new challenge, and you need to be prepared to address that. So just because you're in the heat of the battle and you're in this work and you're trying to keep up and keep your head above water, you need to still be working on developing yourself um, for whatever new challenge lies ahead. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Justin. We're so excited next week to kind of launch into the scaling aspect of nonprofits. So in the meantime, as always, visit justintmiller.com to get a lot more blog content and to learn how to get in touch with Justin over social media. Next week, tune in. We're going to be talking about tensions and how when you start to scale an organization, how you manage those tensions as a leader. So we hope to see you all next week.